Okay, look, this afternoon we're going to look at something that uh, uh, we do every week, and that is spiritual gifts. So I want to have a look uh, at a few thoughts relating to it and perhaps uh, put a perspective on it for some people. Let's open up in the book of Romans, if you've got your Bible. Romans and chapter 12. Romans and chapter 12. I just want to read two or three verses here. We read here in verse 4, that's where we're going to start. It says, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. And having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us with a prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. And introducing the subject here uh, this afternoon, uh, the point that Paul makes many a time through the scriptures is that uh, the, the, the church is like a body. And like we have our body, particularly 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we often referred to, of having various parts and we're all different one from another and the eye can't say of the ear I have no need of thee and so on we we need every part of our body and in the same manner uh, telling and talking about this here uh, Paul is writing here and says look we're, we're many members in one body we're talking about the church in that regard and we're members one of another we're here to care and to look after and work together as one in the unity of the spirit of Christ and that's the whole intention uh, that the Bible brings out very many times but what it puts in another version in verse 5 is how important it is that we're mutually dependent one on another so we need each other we need each other to be part of the, the church and to supply the needs for the various brethren like as a brother John just said he went up to Bali and and he's able to be uh, mutually dependent on uh, his relationship with Jesus Christ and with his brothers and sisters even over there. And he was able to move around and, uh, uh, with the other brothers and Nevin and uh, Neil and to uh, pray for people and encourage people in the things of God. And that's why it means, or what it means about being mutually dependent one upon another. And yet individually uh, we are parts one of another which is the other thought that's there. And it brings out in verse 6, if our gift is prophecy, then let us prophesy. And it actually uses the term, let us use them in the Amplified Bible. So in other words, whatever gift is God has given to you to, to be part of the body of Christ, and whether we, as we're talking today about the spiritual gifts, and in particular we emphasize tongues, interpretation and prophecy, which are called in the Bible, uh, or by Bible scholars, the voice gifts, because it uses the voice to express the particular gift. Now, the important thing is, as it brings out, that if we have a gift, then let us use that gift. And I suppose one of the encouragements I want to do today is to say to people that if you've operated the gift of tongues, interpretation, or of prophecy, then make sure you use them uh, in the house meetings, and then in particular when you come together in the hall meetings. Uh, look for opportunity to be used of the Lord. 
because God, as we're going to see, divides severally or to many members of, uh, of the church uh, the various gifts and he gives them to people to use. And so let us use them. That's a very important aspect. Let's have a look back in the previous uh, uh, chapter and in verse 29, just a verse I want to emphasize here as well. And it tells us here in verse 29, it says, For the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. In other words, what God gives, it's irrevocable. God gives you a gift, it is your gift. If you receive the Holy Spirit and you spoke in tongues, you always have that capacity to speak in tongues. And whether it's a situation where people have been out of fellowship and they come back in, the moment they start looking away to the Lord and they really reach out to the Lord, something they haven't used for years is suddenly manifested once again. It's only not manifested because people tend to hold back from using what God's given. But the reality is that God's gifts and God's calling are unchangeable. And, of course, it brings it out even more in the Amplified Bible where it uses these comments. For God's gift and his calling are irrevocable. He never withdraws them. Once they are given his grace or to whom he sends his call. If he gives grace unto you because he fills you with the Holy Spirit, he doesn't withdraw it. The only one that can move from that position is you. He will never change what he's promised. He promises us. As we read in the scriptures, he says, I will never, I will never, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Once I'm part of your life, I'm part of your life. But again, we make the comment, it's what we do with what that God has given unto us. When he sends his call and we respond to it, as we've heard testify, God confirms his word. He confirms it, as the Bible says, with signs and wonders and miracles. And the greatest sign and the greatest miracle in people's lives is allowing God to take that one part of our body that we cannot control, our tongue, and allowing God to use it, to allow God to speak through us. The Holy Spirit comes within and he speaks through us. Let's have a look over in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1, just leading, using a few of these thoughts to lead into it today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we'll start in verse 1. And here is Paul writing his uh, first of his epistles or letters, as the word epistle means, uh, to uh, the church at Corinth. So Paul is writing to the church, the one that we spoke of a moment ago, that are mutually dependent one upon another. And uh, we read here, Paul, called to be an apostle or a special messenger of Jesus Christ, through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, under the church of God, which is at Corinth. So he's sending a message to the church of God at Corinth. But also, not only to them, we go on to read, but to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. And, of course, called out of this world, receiving the Holy Spirit makes you a saint, a sanctified one, one who is set apart by God, one who belongs to the church and as a member of the body of Christ. All these terms we're using are all brought clear through the scriptures. And so he's saying here, to the church of God, but to all them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints. So we can read this letter because we're spirit-filled saints. 
Others, of course, and amazing when you talk to people. I went with a couple of sisters to talk to a, a new lady this week and she kept quoting from the book of Corinthians and she doesn't really understand what it means to be spirit-filled. It's like someone going and getting the next-door neighbour's mail and reading it. It's not theirs. They can understand certain things, but it doesn't belong to them. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you're sanctified in Christ through the Holy Spirit, you belong, and it's your letter. And it goes on to say, Then they're sanctified, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. And we read, Grace be unto you and peace from our Lord, uh, from God, our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ and I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ the grace of God for maybe for some that have not embraced it yet the grace of God is the free unmerited favour of choosing you out of this world calling you and then choosing you and uh, filling you with the Holy Spirit that's the wonderful grace of God you're saved by that grace it's not of yourself, the Bible says in Ephesians. It is a gift of God. Something we all must do if we want to be right with God. And uh, this is what he is bringing out here. And in verse 4 it says, And I thank my God in, um, uh, always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ uh, that in everything you're enriched by him with all utterance and with all knowledge even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you when you were filled with the Holy Spirit, the testimony of what Jesus had said to his own disciples, these signs will follow them that believe. We received that testimony. It was confirmed in us the moment that we spoke in another tongue. But then it goes on to say, in verse 7 I was leading to, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we come behind in no revelation of what God that wants to present and give to us another version puts verse 7 this way it says that you are consciously falling um, not consciously I should say falling behind or lacking in any spiritual endowments or Christian grace you're not lacking anything of the grace of God the moment you're filled with the Holy Spirit and God has his gifts and they're part of the church and your calling and the gifts that God give you as we've already seen, are irrevocable. They're unchangeable. God will never change what he's given. Let's go back, or over, I should say, not back, to chapter 14, 1 Corinthians 14, which, of course, is the great chapter on the gifts of the Spirit, but I want to start at the end and then before we go back to the beginning. And if we look at verse 37, I just want to bring out a point or two here first. It says, if any man thinks himself to be a prophet, someone that knows the things of God or spiritual in any way at all, if anyone thinks that they're right with Jesus Christ and with God, then they must acknowledge the things that are written in this chapter, all about the gifts of tongues, interpretation and prophecy. So if any man thinks himself a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord how that they are in the church, how they are to operate in the church, because God is speaking through Paul and giving him the authority to make such a statement and that the inspiration of God is to be given to the church through the gifts of the Spirit. 
In verse 37 it says, But if any man be ignorant of the truth of this message, then let him be ignorant. He wants to ignore what God is doing and saying it's not necessary, it's not for today and all these sort of things. Well, just let him be ignorant. Just get on with your walk in the Lord and with what you're doing. And wherefore, brethren, covet, or as the word covet, the only thing we're to covet after in the Bible, and that's the spiritual gifts. It says covet to prophesy, as we're going to mention that prophecy is a better gift than speaking in tongues in the church meeting. But very importantly, as so many do, at the end of verse 39 it says, and forbid not to speak with tongues. Whatever you do, don't forbid to allow tongues to be used in the church meeting. And it says that final point here, let all things be done decently and in order. Decently and in order. The Amplified Bible puts things this way in verse 37. It says, If anyone thinks or claims that he is a prophet, filled with and governed by the Holy Spirit of God, and inspired to interpret the divine will and the purpose in preaching or teaching, or who has any other spiritual endowment, let him or her recognize and acknowledge that what I'm writing to you, Paul says, is a commandment of the Lord. If you've got any acknowledgement of what there is in Christianity and you think that makes you right, whatever you think, you can't take away from what Paul is saying here. He says, this is a commandment of the Lord, that these things are to operate in a church. Verse 38, it goes on to say, and again I'm reading, I'll read the next two uh, uh, verses from the Amplified Bible. It says, but is, um, is anyone or anyone disregards or does not recognize and acknowledge what I'm writing unto you is a commandment of the Lord. So we're not to disregard or not acknowledge that the gifts are part of the writings of, of, the, of Paul and that they are a commandment of the Lord to be used. In verse 39 it says, So to conclude, my brethren, as he's finishing talking about the gifts here, earnestly desire and set your hearts and, on prophesying, being inspired to preach and to teach and to interpret God's will and purpose and do not forbid or hinder speaking in other known tongues. And of course, when we look at the church out there today in general terms, they don't even understand what speaking in tongues is. It's one of the biggest controversies in Christendom. The churches acknowledge that it exists. They acknowledge that it happened on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. You can pick up your Bible dictionaries and your encyclopedias and they'll talk about how the Holy Spirit was poured out and that's what happened that day. You can read further and they'll say, well, it happened to the first Gentiles, they spoke in tongues. It happened to people that believed and were baptised in Acts 19 but had no Holy Spirit. And then when they were baptised in the name of the Lord, they received the Holy Spirit and they spoke in tongues. They acknowledge all these things. However, the whole point is they forbid the speaking in tongues in their services. They don't want anything to do with it. It's not for today, as I've already made the comment. In actual fact, when it comes to the receiving of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit in Christian churches, there is just so much ignorance 
of what the facts are from the scriptures. I sort of had a look at a few reference books I've got there at home and one I had a look at is called the Complete Bible Handbook. Now it's a complete Bible handbook, it should know what everything's all about. And I looked up uh, the section in 1 Corinthians 14 and I only say this because it really doesn't matter which one you pick up, they'll all say the same thing because they're written by men that are not filled with the Holy Spirit. It's obvious they've got no idea what God has done in filling people with the Holy Spirit because they're not Spirit-filled. And in this uh, reference it calls it glossolalia. And glossolalia is the Greek word for speaking in other tongues. Glosso and uh, tongue and uh, alia, speech. So it's, um, it, it's tongue speech as it means if you literally translate the word. But the commentary made on 1 Corinthians 14 is that this uh, commentator in the complete Bible handbook says, Paul tells us that he himself speaks in tongues. I thought, well, that's a good start. But he says he thought little of the matter. <laughs> you know, that's the statement he made in one sentence. Oh, yeah, people, Peter, Paul, Peter did too, of course, but Paul spoke in tongues, but he didn't think much of the matter. In other words, it was very little, not important. However, you've only got to look, in fact, we might even look at it while you're here so you can see that it's there in verse 18 of this same chapter, verse chapter. Uh, verse 14 of chapter verse go back 18 I'm trying to say it too quick uh, in chapter 14 what does he say here this is the words of Paul to the church he says I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than you all is that someone that thinks it's not important or someone that is thanking God for the ability to be able to speak in tongues in actual fact, if you look up the Amplified Bible, it says, I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than all of you or all of you put together. And that's what it really is emphasising here. It was so important in Paul's personal devotion to God that he thanked God for this wonderful ability to speak in another tongue. And of course, ridiculously, they don't understand. And of course, what they relate to is they go on to read verse 19 and take it out of context again. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in another tongue. So he's talking here of his own devotion. He's thanking God. It's no little matter. It's vitally important to Paul. He was always speaking in tongues in his ability to pray to God in the spirit. At the same time, he said... In the church, it's a different scenario. I'm, I want to teach people about the things of God. He was the apostle of the Lord. And that's why he said, yet in the church, I'd rather speak with, with my own voice, my own language that I can teach than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit uh, in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. Understand what I'm talking uh, here to you uh, so much about I want to teach you things by speaking to you in a language you understand is what he's saying but I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than all of you the second point that it made I just took a, a little note of and it states from that point it says tongues only and it emphasises this word 
the tongues only had a place in the congregational worship. So all the tongues were ever used for was in church worship. That's a statement made by this particular writer of the complete book on the, on the Bible. And then he immediately after he says that the only place for tongues is in the church worship. He says, if no interpreter, then the gift of tongues was to be reserved for private prayer to God. Total contradiction. It only happens in the church. However, there's no interpreter. You can have it in your private prayer to God. Now, this is why I'm just sort of saying these things are so ridiculous. But even sometimes in charismatic circles that are supposed to have the Holy Spirit, some of them, we find that I read an article about speaking in other tongues in one of their magazines and it said that finally they've come to the realisation that the gift of tongues is a separate gift to the use of tongues in church worship. Now, we could have told them that 50, 60 years ago when we began because there is a difference. You receive the Holy Spirit, you speak in tongues, but the gift of tongues in the church worship is a totally different thing. Just for a moment, I might make a comment and transgress slightly, but I think it really highlights why that we are very careful about what we encourage people to read. You can go into Kurong or the Word Bookshop and you will find hundreds and hundreds of books about Christ, about the Bible, about one subject or another subject and all their materials and so on, written by men. And if you don't understand, you get confused. I get confused trying to read it because it's not Bible-based. And that's why we don't tend to have our shelves loaded up with all different people's ideas of what grace is and what this is and what that is. We'd rather have one book for you to read because it says it all. And all the people say, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. But what we see in the Scriptures, getting back to the gifts, is that the Church of Corinth was out of order. All the scholars that have written about the church said that the church was out of order in the use of the gifts and that's why Paul starts in chapter 12 and at the beginning he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to understand the use of the gifts in the church. And so the whole idea was for the church of Corinth to set out an order regarding the use of the gifts, all of the gifts. Here in this book is an instruction of Christian practice and discipline for the church. The other thing is we're told in the Bible we're not to quench the Holy Spirit. And so people can receive the Holy Spirit and never use any of the gifts in their church meetings. They're quenching God's Spirit because the Bible tells us that when the Spirit is manifested in a meeting, through the gifts it's given to us that every one of us profit from what we hear we're to listen to the gifts because it's part of the word of God that the Lord is using individuals to speak forth a message the spirit is manifested in our midst so that the whole church is edified and we get to the point which is the most important point that the idea of the gifts is to edify exhort and to comfort the church at any particular point. Another point we want to make is, of course, that you're no more saved whether you operate a spiritual gift or you don't operate a spiritual gift. 
providing, of course, that you're filled with the Spirit and you're walking in the Spirit. That's number one. But after that, some operate tongues and some don't. I mean, how many people here speak in tongues at any time? Look at the hands go up. How many people have the gift of tongues? Now we're cutting it down because not everybody in the church, even though they speak in tongues, and I'm one, I've never operated the gift of tongues in a church meeting, prophecy interpretation, because God hasn't given me that gift. God devised severally within the body of those that he wants to use. And I think that's an important point uh, that uh, we want to bring out here. Let's go back to chapter 12. We'll look at some thoughts there. Chapter 12 and and verse uh, 1, a scripture I already have quoted. Now concerning spiritual, the gifts is added, but it knows no doubt what he's talking about. And when it's in italics, a different print, it's not in the original. But now concerning spiritual, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. He goes on to say that you know that you were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. People were teaching them that these various idols that they had in Corinth, they had numbers of different gods and they had all their statues to their gods and they were led by people that says, oh, this is the right way, this is the path to go and you've got this god and you've got that and you've got another particular god. You were carried away as an unbeliever for the vanity of your mind, it's telling us. Wherefore I give you to understand, though, that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed or cut off as the word accursed and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. It's another very important point. There's so many people that say they love God and they believe in God and all you've got to do is believe. But what it says here, if you haven't got the Holy Spirit in your life, you cannot call God your Lord. He's not supreme in authority in your life except by the Holy Spirit. Now, in verse 4, there are diversities of the gifts, but it's the same Spirit. There's difference of administration. As we've already said, the different ones have different parts to play in the body of Christ, but it is the same Lord. And there are diversities of operation, but it's the same God that worketh all in all. But the manifestation, I quoted this a moment ago, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. The Spirit in us bears witness with our spirit that we're sons and daughters of God. We hear the spiritual gifts and it bears witness of God's Spirit being manifested in the midst of the church is what the Bible is wanting to bring out. For by one Spirit, for to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and that selfsame Spirit, dividing severally, or to every man severally, as he will. Whereas the body is one member, has many members, and all the bodies and members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and we've all made to partake, or as the word drink means, to partake of that one Spirit, the Spirit of the living God. And so 
If we look through to one is given the gifts of tongues and, and the other one given wisdom and uh, so on, that there are nine of them. There are nine spiritual gifts given to a church of God, the Christian spirit-filled church. It's interesting that the number nine in Bible numerics is the number of finality. A lot of others that want to try and add in other ideas of what they think is a gift of God to the church. But let's go through them all and I'll just uh, quickly mention them and uh, explain what each one means. And I'll say very briefly. The first one is the gift of knowledge. And it comes from a, a Greek word. I'll probably say it wrong and all the Greeks will speak to me later. But it, uh, to me it sounds like gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S. But what it means in knowledge is a knowledge of spiritual truth or a knowledge of seeking to know spiritual truth. That's what this knowledge is all about, a knowledge of spiritual or seeking to know spiritual truth. In other words, this knowledge relates to a knowledge of God's words and not to natural things that are in life. It's a bit like we read in just a reference in John 14 that the Holy Ghost, it tells us in verse 26, calls to remembrance whatsoever the things that God has, has uh, uh, said to us through the, the Holy Spirit. He brings it to remembrance. You, you can talk to someone, they ask a question, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit will, that's taught you will bring a scripture to your mind that you've read. And you go, well, I've forgotten about that, but God didn't. And so he brings it out. And so this is the whole uh, thought of it all, the knowledge of God's word. And of course... Uh, the Holy Spirit is the teacher and calls to remembrance. The second gift is the gift of wisdom and that comes from the Greek word Sophia and it actually means an insight into the true nature of things, an insight to the true nature of things. In other words, as we talked about the knowledge before as the knowledge of God's word, in the spiritual sense it means to be as skillful in applying the knowledge of God's word it's like it tells us in the scriptures that when we're spirit filled we've got to put on the mind of Christ and uh, this is wisdom if we put on the mind of Christ through his holy word it's very very important to us the third is the gift of faith now this is a, a Greek word paistis and it actually means trust confidence, assurance and it's different from the saving faith that we have it actually means a special faith of a certain conviction. And if we want to use a couple of illustrations of this type of faith we're talking about when the gifts are involved here, the gift of faith in the church, it's a bit like when Stephen was being stoned to death. And Stephen was being stoned to death there and uh, as they're trying to take his life from him because they didn't like what he was telling them about Jesus Christ and the, the word of God, he turned around and he said to them, lay not this to their charge. He wasn't wanting to get back at them. He felt sorry for them. The wisdom he had from God was that he was making a stand and they were opposing God and he didn't even want them blamed for what they were doing to him. That took a tremendous faith. That's the type of faith we're talking about uh, when we're talking of the, the faith that there's a gift in the church. The next one is the gifts, plural, of healing. It comes from a word, iamma, 
and it does mean physical healings. It's not an individual that has that particular gift that wherever they lay hands on that is because of them. Rather, as we see in the scripture, it says it's the gifts of healing. It's the only one that's plural. Because if people come to the front of the meeting here to be prayed for, one brother might pray with a number of people during the time of his prayer and they can all be healed. They all receive the gift he is used of the Lord to encourage their faith and to pray for them. And that's, of course, what it is. It's the gifts of healing. By his stripes we were healed. God does the healing, not the individual. God does. And that's why it's gifts of healing. Miracles is the fifth one. The word miracles, dunamon, it means acts of power or mighty works or wonders, if we look up the meaning of the word. Acts of power, mighty work or wonders. And of course it's a bit like a miracle was when Lazarus had been dead in the grave. He was into the fourth day. And as the scriptures say, by now he stinketh. And Jesus just spoke the words and he walked out of the tomb, wrapped in his grave clothes. That is a miracle. And yet some still didn't believe it, we read in the scriptures. Amazing. It's a bit like the uh, at the gate beautiful we read there in the Gospel of John when they were obviously looking for money and Peter and John turned around and said, silver and gold have we none, but such as we have, we'll give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And of course, such as I have, I give thee. They were able to work miracles as a gift of God. That's another illustration there. Six was the discerning of spirits, diacresis, and the discerning of spirits means a thorough judging of a matter a thorough judging of a matter it's the ability to distinguish between events and utterances as to whether they're of God or not in other words to recognise false teachings and I remember the first time it sort of came home to me was uh, when I was at a meeting and uh, this uh, lady spoke out and she says God told me sister you've got problems and I thought Boing, my eyes went open to see where it came from and I thought, no, sister, you've got problems. And uh, we just had to take her aside and tell her don't operate the gifts anymore because it was very easy to discern. She wasn't talking about what the Bible says. If you discern the spirits and you apply the knowledge of the word of God, it's, it's not for individuals, it's for the church as we've been trying to emphasise. We recognise false spirits. The Bible says in 1 John we're to try the spirits whether they be of God or not as well. In number seven is, uh, is tongues. And of course uh, tongues is glossolalia. And uh, as we said, which means tongue speech. And uh, as we know in the book of John, uh, for reference to those that may not, that in John chapter 4, Jesus in verse 23 and 24 when he's speaking uh, to Nicodemus um, and uh, um, sorry the woman at the well of Samaria I should say uh, when he said that God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth God is a spirit and the true worshipper must worship in spirit and in truth now according to the word of God we have to worship in the spirit well, if we went over to 1 Corinthians 14, and uh, in fact, we might just quickly look at that to show you that it's there if you're new here. 
First Corinthians 14 and verse 14. Get you using the pages. A couple of verses make it quite clear. For if I, Paul said, and we know he did, pray in an unknown tongue, what's happening? He says, my spirit is praying. But my understanding, I don't understand it up here in my head, is unfruitful. So when you pray in an unknown tongue, you are praying in the spirit, in your tongue speech, and it's a must. You must pray in the spirit. Back in verse 2 of the same chapter. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue, it says, speaketh not unto men. It's not for preaching, as so many want to say, they learn another language. It's what we were tried to be told last week as we are talking to this young lady, that people learn, go to another country, they speak in another language, and that's speaking in tongues. But very clearly it says you don't use that tongue to speak to men, but unto God direct. When you pray in tongues, you're talking to God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaks mystery. No one hears what you're saying when you're praying in tongues. It's a mystery to them. But as it says there, you are praying in the spirit. In the spirit, tongues interchangeable, we are speaking mysteries. In other words, it's also to be, as a comment to make about tongues, it's to be disciplined in the meetings, in worship times. It's limited in the scriptures. It makes the point very clearly as far as all of the gifts are concerned, and particularly tongues, that we are in complete control of this and like we said, there's a big difference between receiving the Spirit and speaking in tongues as a sign and the public use of tongues in a church meeting. What it is there for, as we'll probably get a chance to look at, when tongues are used in a meeting such as this, it's a sign to the unbeliever, not to the believer, and it must be covered or accompanied by a following interpretation. It's also limited to two at the most three in any one church service. It also does say, talking of tongues, that it is the least of the gifts in public worship. Why is it the least of the gifts in public worship? Because the only one that gets edified and uplifted is the one that speaks in tongues. Because God edifies that one person as they speak in tongues. Everyone else, no understanding, no edification. The church must be edified, and that's why tongues must go with interpretation, which is the eighth of the gifts. The word interpretation, which is also a misnomer as far as people are concerned, the word interpretation, but it's the word the interpreters have used. It actually comes from the Greek word hermes, and it means a messenger. I want to make it quite clear that interpretation is not, particularly from new folk, it is not a translation not anyone that follows with the message in English after a tongue has a clue what that message was in tongues. But by the gift of God, they speak a message. It is an explanation, or it means to explain. If we look in Greek mythology, that Hermes was the Greek god of, of Mercury, the messenger of the gods. A messenger of the gods. And that's what the word interpreter means a messenger and of course the same way we want to make the point because there's no understanding of translation that someone can speak a short gift in tongues and someone else can interpret with a longer message it's in proportion to our faith you ask someone to describe something 
And, uh, you know, you get someone and you say, what's that? And they'll say, it's a glass. The next person will say, it's a glass. It's so high, it's so round, so long. It's got crinkly bits on the bottom and they're talking about the same thing. It's just in proportion to the faith, the scriptures tell us. Just a simple way uh, to put it very clearly here. And then the last of the gifts are the gifts of prophecy. Now, prophecy comes from the Greek word prophetia, and it literally means inspired speech. If someone operates a gift of, in, of uh, prophecy, they are speaking inspired words from God to proclaim or to extol. It explains it in the, in the concordance. It means to speak forth of the mind and the counsel of God to the church. It's really foretelling. People have got the idea if you're talking of prophecy, you're talking about events into the future. Not in the gifts. It's actually described to edify, exhort and to comfort the church. That's what prophecy's put there. Not to foretell, but to foretell. To edify, exhort, comfort the church of God when they come together. And so if we look at the scriptures, and we might not uh, get a chance to look at it all, the last two gifts, interpretation or prophecy, are basically very similar. One is a messenger, and one speaks inspired speech. And that's why in the scriptures, whether you interpret or you prophesy, you edify, exhort and comfort the church. They are equal in that regard in that they edify the church. Tongues, only one is edified because only one gets the blessing of God because no one else understands anything. In 1 Corinthians 12 and uh, verse 11, I'll just quote it now, it says, all these gifts, achievements, abilities are inspired and brought to pass by the one and the same Holy Spirit who apportions to each person individually exactly as he, God, chooses. So it tells us here that all the gifts, the achievements, the abilities, the inspired thoughts are brought to pass by one Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the, the same Holy Spirit. And he gives to each person exactly as God chooses, or chooses, I should say, the right word, uh, to give to individual people. God is in control. Let's have a look just at the end of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians before we come back to chapter 14. Just a couple of quick verses, it says, in verse 29, talking about the members of Christ in verse 27 and members, uh, uh, the body of Christ and members in particular and how that God sets people with various things to do in the body of Christ. Then he asks the question here, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? And the simple answer is no. Another one that people quote, like I said before, I asked who spoke in tongues and virtually every hand went up. I asked who has the gift of tongues and the number reduced greatly because God uses individuals in the body of Christ to operate these things. We don't all have tongues. We don't all have prophecy. We don't all interpret and so on as we look through the gifts. But in verse 31 there is the suggestion, the encouragement, but earnestly or covet earnestly the best gifts, interpretation and prophecy, 
and yet I show you a more excellent way. Then in verse uh, 1 of chapter 13, a couple of other points to make here quickly. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity or love, I become like a sounding brass or as a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have all faith that I could, uh, so that I could move mountains, if I have not charity or love, I'm nothing. And it, it brings out the point here that we could be talking in the tongues of men or of angels. And there is the thought that uh, our natural tongues are the ones of men, but the tongues that we speak are even of angels. We don't know what angels sound like. And, of course, the whole point is whatever we do in the church is to be done in the love of God. Right. Now, let's go back to chapter 14. I'll just quickly go through this, make some points, because we've got to finish up. Um, I think it's important to do this. And uh, verse 1, it says, But follow after charity, as we just encouraged, and desire spiritual gifts, but that rather you may prophesy the better gifts, or interpret it means. For he that speaks an unknown tongue doesn't speak to men, but to God. No man understandeth him, in spirit he speaks mystery. But he that prophesieth, uses prophecy in the church, speaketh unto men to edification, to uh, exhortation, and to comfort. He that speaks an unknown tongue, just confirming some of the things we've said, edifies himself, but he that prophesieth edifies the church. I would that you all spoke with tongues, but rather that you all prophesied, he means here. For greater is he, greater in the, the use of the gift, is he that prophesieth, and he that speaks in tongues, except he interpret. Because the prophecy interpretation are the same, that the church may receive edifying. That's the whole emphasis of the gift here. Now, brethren, I came unto you speaking, um, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you, except that uh, I speak to you by a revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or doctrine? If I, if I, if I can't speak to you in the way you understand, what good is it uh, to you? And uh, it's unknown to you. And, of course, this is why that you need to have uh, the, the gifts uh, that, that relate to the uh, interpretation to go with it. Um, we have to cut most of this out. I've got a lot more things I was going to go through. But anyway, let's go down to um, um, verse 14. It says, For if I, Paul says, pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, though I understand is unfruitful, what is it then? I will pray with the spirit, tongues, and I will pray with my understanding, in his case, probably Aramaic, also. I will sing with the spirit, and I'll sing with the understanding also. Else when thou blessed with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say uh, amen? And, uh, and uh, at thy giving of thanks, sing as he understandeth not what thou sayest. For, for thou verily giveth thanks well, but the other is not edified. And I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church I'd rather speak five words with my understanding, that by my voice I might teach others also than ten thousand words in unknown tongue. Don't be children understanding and uh, in malice or natural things you can but it says in the law in verse 21 it is written with the men of other tongues or languages that are given of God even of angels it says and other lips will I speak to this people yet for all this they will not hear me saith the Lord and it's straight back to Isaiah 28 when it's prophesied that when Christ comes people will speak in tongues and people will reject it straight out 
And that's what it tells us here. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serves them, uh, for them that believe not, but for them which believe. And if therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues, or come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that you're mad? This little point on there, if the church all come together and we all spoke in tongues, we're all believers. It is the unlearned that doesn't understand it or the unbeliever that knocks it that thinks it's madness, not the believers. Just a little point there. But if all prophesy, there'll come in those that uh, believeth not or unlearned. He is convinced of all and he's judged of all. So you can even understand the words where prophecy is using. Um, In verse 27, if any man speak in an unknown tongue, this is in a meeting, to avoid any confusion, make it quite clear. Let it be by two or at the most by three and that by course let one interpreter. But if there be no interpreter in the church, let him keep the silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. There must be someone that has that gift of interpretation and we know that that happens even in our house meetings. Let the prophet speak two or three and let the other judge. And uh, we can judge that from what the Lord is telling us here. Um, where we go to? I just really need to finish, don't I? Um, I was going to look at Thessalonians and not to spurn the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I was going to talk about that we must operate regularly the gifts of the Spirit and um, that the Lord truly does want to bless us. But uh, just one first, let's have a look to finish. Second Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy chapter 1. big subject to try and cover it in one time. Second Timothy in chapter 1 and verse 6 I think that's one I want uh, I've written down the the wrong verse there but uh, not pick it up it, it's just basically uh, I think we know it'll just pick it up. It's, uh, no, I haven't. You're right. Thank you, brother. I was looking. That's the one I wanted. I should have looked at the right place. I tell you all, you look and I don't. <laughs> all right. In, in the chapter uh, 1 and verse 6, quite correct. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God. That's the point I want to finish on. Stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Another version says, rekindle the embers, fan the flame, and keep it burning. That's what we're going to do with all the aspects of the Holy Spirit. Cover the gifts, the best gifts, come behind in no gift, waiting for the second coming of Christ. And all the people said...